0: Network.com.
1: This episode of the Tome Show is brought to you by Noble Knight Games, where out of print is available again and listeners like you. Thanks for using the Tomes Amazon and DD Classic affiliate links. Welcome to the Tome Book Club for March of 2014. The Tome is a D&D news, reviews, and interviews show, and I'm your guest, Tome host, Eric Pocket.
0: And I'm your co-host, Jeff Greiner. In each book club episode, we discuss one D&D-related book, spoilers be damned, in full book club style, and our book is the fourth book in the year-long sundering series, The Reaver, by Richard Lee Byers.
1: You may have noticed I'm not Tracy Hurley. She had a last-minute thing come up that took her away from recording today, but she'll be back for the second half and wanted to let us know that she's enjoying the book so far.
0: And while we don't have Tracy today, we do have at least one other person joining us in this episode uh, for the discussion. Welcome to the show, David Gibson. Hello, Ooh, David.
1: Um, <laughs> uh, I'm
0: and David, a- David, you and I have known each other for, for years now, but this, I think this is the first time you've been on, been on a podcast with us, right? Yes, it is. Excellent. Well, we're glad to have you on, and we hope to see more of you in the future. Thank you.
1: In April, we'll be finishing The Reaper. You sh- we should be talking to the author, Richard Lee Byers. If you want to join us for that or any other book club discussion, please don't hesitate to contact us. Send an email at thetomeshow at gmail.com, and we can either discuss your thoughts... On the episode, or if there's room, invite you to join us on the show.
0: Before we get into the discussion, I want to remind you that Noble Knight has sponsored this episode. Without them, it would be a much harder to keep the show going. So please swing by Noble Knight, buy something, and tell them that the to- that the Tome Show sent you. Our pick for this episode is The Captive Flame, Book One of the Brotherhood of the Griffin series, written by the same author that wrote the book we're discussing today. Have either of you read it? No. No. <sighs> I should have picked better. <laughs> um, I've, he- I've heard nothing but good things about it, and I know it's a, a popular series. It was originally, uh, I don't know if it was originally supposed to be a trilogy, but it's, it's expanded, and I think he's up to four or five books, and he's talked about going back to it after he's done with the Sundering stuff, so go check it out. Hello. Hello, citizens.
1: Oh, thank goodness, adventurers. We need a noble knight.
0: Perhaps you can slay the beast of retail and reap the promises of riches. Riches? Yes! Great prices, out-of-print games, the latest releases, and a magic box that converts all of your old loot into cash or new loot. But why? Fantastic! I'll do it! Yes, well, you see the beast he kidnapped the mayor and can only be slain by the most noble of knights. Yes, yes, yes. I said I'll do it! Yes, the thing is, I was talking
1: to her. What? Fear not, kind citizen. The Noble Knight will save the day, rescue the Lord in distress, and liberate all that loot anyway, only possible at Noble Knight. If you'd like to get your hands on Noble Knight's loot, head over to thetomeshow.com and click on the link in the show notes for this episode.
0: And don't forget to tell them that The Tome Show sent you. Ha, I got to do something to help out.
1: All right, it's time to get into the book.
0: All right, so the reaver. What do we think? It's uh, a <laughs> treasure island
2: from the perspective of Long John Silver. If Jim Hawkins was the treasure, that's my
0: thought so far. <laughs> if Jim Hawkins was the what? The the treasure there. Oh, the treasure. Oh, okay. Yeah, and and chosen by a god. Yes. Okay. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's it's a very simple. You really see. I mean, for in Anton, you really see. The typical starting player characters, which are basically in it for the money, which is the prize, which is st- Stead, the young kid who's a chosen of Latender,
0: And then um, th- he's been sort of um, commissioned, I guess, or he's going after a bounty to, to gather up the, this kid, Stead, uh, <laughs> who I believe we know from The Adversary, yes?
1: Uh,
0: Eric? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I... Don't remember him from the adversary. I,
0: I I was told by both Aaron and Richard, the authors of those two of that of that book and this book, that there was a carryover character and there was a mention uh, in this book about by Stead about having come from these camps a little while yes. a little while back.
1: He does mention about camps, but there's we knew that there was several camps. Uh, I note that Umara, the wizard from Tay, was in the adversary.
0: Oh, is that the one? I just that's the I, one. I just assumed it was Stead and that that was one of the kids because there were several kids um, yeah. that we met in the adversary and I never I guess I just didn't remember their names and so I assumed one of them was Stead.
1: Yeah, I don't remember Stead being one of them, but if I, there were so many kids that they were chosen, but I do remember Umara in the adversary. I know, like oh, she's back. Was, was, she, <laughs>
0: was she the one with the, the, the all the undead that teamed up with the Harpers? Yes, really. Oh, that's interesting. From what I, from what I recall, that's interesting. okay, I've,
2: I've coming into the reaver completely blind. No, so. that, that's
0: fine. That's, that's fine. good. That's fine. That gives us different perspectives.
2: Yes. Yeah. Okay, so, so uh, how does the uh, that change your perspective on Umara, knowing that she has some um, what she did in the adversary?
0: Well, I think that that might because my, I guess my take on the character in the adversary was different than my take on her personality in the reaver, and I don't know if that's a matter of. She's in a different situation in the adversary. She was the top dog uh, in her little group, whereas in the Reaver, she's got somebody over her. Right? So, yeah. um, I don't know if that's just that's why maybe we've seen a difference in personality, a different author portraying them, or yeah. or if there's something else going on there, or maybe I just didn't see it because I didn't re- I didn't realize it was the same character.
1: Well, also in adversary, she was just a character that was known. You never you never really saw a, a chapter. From her perspective, you always yeah. saw it from someone else. Oh, one of, oh, one of the other characters from, from Aaron's book, seen it. But in this one, now you actually see her inner thoughts and Slur and and she has this communication in her mind with uh, the vampire, yeah. uh, Kimis. Sounds Kim. right. So. so it does provide a different perspective, yes.
0: Now, have all of us only read to the halfway point?
1: Yes. Okay. Yes. Cuz I know
0: I, I know sometimes we we get some uh, somebody on who's actually read the whole thing and then they have to be careful not to spoil anything for the rest yeah. of us but we're all coming at it from the same perspective at this point. Oh, so oh, chapter 7 I believe. Yep, yep. Yep, I finished chapter 7. Which I think I feel like was sort of a good breaking point as well. Yeah. So that happens to be right cuz I'm I'm doing the audiobook version and that happens to be right where the audiobook splits into another file. So it worked out really, rather well. Uh, And and I guess we never got done sort of talking about the what was going on in the story, right? Um, Anton has been is seeking a bounty, grabbing to grab Stead. Stead is is a child, who is a chosen of Lethander, and the idea is that we have multiple parties that all want Stead. Anton was grabbing Stead specifically for um, the chosen of Umberly, the the evil goddess of the seas. who is also an undead. What is he? Is he a lich? Vampire, I
2: think. No, for something.
1: Uh. Yeah, the the Chosen really The Chosen Umberley. I, I thought Yes, it, uh, it's generic undead. Uh, so yeah.
0: We don't know. We just, we just know he's undead. Okay. Um, and then there's also the Red Wizards in, uh, involved, and they're also trying to grab the kid. And Anton has somehow accidentally ended up in a situation where he's trying to actually kind of sort of protect the kid. Or at least long enough until he gets a full claim on on the kid by himself. Does that sound fair? Yeah. And I I, I assume we're all – it's moving – like right now he's clearly just helping the kid for as long as it's convenient for him. But his whole purpose was to get the kid to – was it Captain Highcastle, the the Chosen of Umberley? Was to get the kid to him so that he could get paid. But we just saw him have a big fight to stop Highcastle from getting the kid. So is his motivation has changed now? Has he gone t- from bounty seeker to full protector of the child, do we think? Or is he just looking for a more opportune time?
2: I think he's managed to put them, let his opportunity to turn over so that slip through his fingers. He seemed to attack Evander, not realizing Evander was on the, the, the
0: boat. So... He's managed to cheat himself out of his own bounty. Vendor, that was, the, that was Captain Highcastle's first name, right? Okay. Okay. Yes. Yep. So now now there's nobody for him to turn it over with, unless I guess he just works continues to work with the, the Red Wizards. But there's not yep. a lot of motivation for them to do that, except that he's made this deal with um,
1: with Umara. Yeah, so yeah. it's... Uh, yeah. It, it 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 does seem to be changing his attitude towards. Do you does how, how much bounty does he want in all that. And the kid wants to go to Sapra, so maybe he could possibly see a better opportunity there too. I well, don't know. and
0: ultimately, I feel like we're supposed to think that this is moving in a direction where uh, Anton. And Umara, uh will be sort of redeemed, right? That they will sort of become the protectors of the kid instead of the people trying to, both competing to, to claim a bounty on him. Yeah, it does seem to be set up as your average redemption story. Now, I'm not convinced that we're actually going to see the redemption of both of these characters. We might see the redemption of some of them, but I don't see, like, I don't see Anton um, becoming redeemed to the point that he feel, he feels bad about the evil that he's already committed in his life, you know? No, he
1: he'll put help. On. He he's a bit like a like a Han Solo character, where he's at the start of the, at the start of the, of Star Wars. Han Solo is basically your mercenary, only in for the money. But by the end of, by the end of the first movie, he's, well, he's there to hop out with the rebellion. So sure, he's cha- he's changed uh, his attitude. So I'm sort of seeing that a bit in Anton. Although, but, but there's a bit
0: of a difference because Han Solo was, was a rogue and, and, and a thief, you know, or whatever. But Anton is a – at least my pirate. take on him. I mean, he's a pirate, right? He's a ruthless killer.
2: That, yeah, Anton feels very much like a sociopath. He doesn't seem to kind of attribute rightness or wrongness to any of his actions. He just does. Well, it's well, I th- all I think only for the money.
0: He, and I'm not sure that he, he – I feel like he necessarily is a sociopath. Um, but but I, he certainly tries to portray that sort of attitude. Right. The I don't care attitude. I'm, yeah. But I think that just comes from I've lived this life for a long time and that's just sort of who I am now. And I guess there's a lot we don't know about him. Right. We yeah. know he started off in Termish and he was uh, he left and now he can't go back and we really don't know what's going on or how he got found himself in the situation or really how horrible and evil he's actually been. But there's a lot of implication that he was a, a downright killer
1: yeah there's something interesting, but you do see a few times where he has opportunities to kill somebody mm-hmm. and you, and he doesn't and there's other characters like um the fire knife guy debarak i believe okay uh mentions that of why are we not killing him and and uh anton just provides a reason there, but it seems more like looking for a reason not to kill him rather than yeah, but
0: part of me thinks that that's, that may be the influence of being with Stead.
2: And we are introduced to Anton as he's slaughtering all of Stead's guardians right. and
0: bodyguards. Yeah, yeah I, I, I'm intrigued because I want to know more about Anton before I can decide whether or not he's, he's actually redeemable. I'm not sure that we're going to see the the redemption of the Red Wizard because I think she's, there's going to be a movement of her towards redemption and then she, she's not going to make that final step because... She's a red wizard first, you know, and I don't think she's going to give that up. Yeah,
1: I don't think she she will give that up, but she still is trying to free herself from from whatever because she basically wants to rise up in her position in there. But she also has issues with the, the undead. Yeah, that are that are that are leading, which are basically. I, not that familiar with how Thay works, but is like uh, undead, like the upper class in in Thay, or well, the 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 more powerful um,
0: red wizards in their society. The red wizards are the upper class, so to okay, speak. and then uh, so it's a magocracy, uh, and because Zaz Tam is the leader of the whole um, realm, uh, undead I think are are sort of revered as. A special upper upper class, you know, of the Red Wizards, uh, and that wasn't always the case. There's sort of an implication that she she wants to go back to the days of third edition, when Thay was moving in a more mercantile direction, and you know, Zaz Tam was one of half a dozen different leaders, and they each had a sort of different. Um, well, actually, they were separated by by uh, jobs, but also a bit of like the schools of magic, right? So Zaz Tam yeah. was the Tharchion of, of necromancy. Um. Uh, and so I think she wants to go back to that, that when Faye was more mercantile and they were setting up, you know, uh, markets and shops and things all over the, the world and selling cheap magic items to undermine everybody, but also, you know, ruthless and horrible and, and you know, all of that also. But a lot less sinister of, you know, now Zaztam's in charge by himself and he wants to become a god, which I think is where is where the whole story's going, right? That's why Zaztam wants to be chosen. Yeah,
1: and he wants to raise his... Uh his status, also, he wants to absorb as much, or, or do whatever he wants to do with the various chosen. He's trying to collect, mm-hmm. which, which I think is the same thing. Umberly
0: wants too. I mean, the the story I'm getting here is that all the, these gods are are creating chosen to be their agents during this time of upheaval of the Sundering, and and all of them are utilizing the fact that. Everybody else is making these chosen, right? <laughs> now yeah. that you made chosen, I can go grab a piece of that god and steal it for myself, and uh, <laughs> and all of that. Instead of uh, what happened when when the the realms first went crazy during the time of troubles, which was the gods actually manifested as avatars on the world and killed each other directly.
1: So it's an indirect yeah. attempt to kill each other, rather than since they saw
0: or weaken each other and gain power, yeah. and
1: gain power for themselves. I mean, so Noah.
0: Uh, even the adversary in the previous book was about the same thing. Only uh, we had the Red Wizards and we had um, um, the Netherees, the and we had Asmodius all trying to vie for the the spiritual energy of the Chosen's, yeah. Chosen's, chosen, chose I, <laughs> well, the chosen. Because
2: okay. I know Umberly is a an intermediate god; she's like the middle middle class god. Whereas I think um, Manator and Lethander are both greater gods. Yeah. So. Yeah, the book really portrays uh, Umberly as the god, and everyone's talking about she's the greatest
0: god. Well, she is at this time in this location. Yeah. Yeah. And probably because her chosen is there, you know, acting on her part.
1: Yeah, Yeah, she's, since this is basically a pirate story, a a nautical story, the the goddess of the seas would, of course, have lots of strength in that story. Mm
2: hmm. Or she could be gaining power and kind of moving up to that greater god status. Yeah. 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 yeah.
1: So, chosen takes a portion of the god god soul within as they invest and create one. I think
0: that's that's sort of what the implication, right? Is that yeah. in order to create a chosen, you invest uh, that that mortal with a little bit of the the god you know, the god spark. You know, if you I suppose if you could collect enough of those sparks, you'd have a god, right?
1: Yeah.
2: The chosen of the chosen.
0: The chosen of the chosen.
2: chosen.
0: (laughs) So, the title of the book is The Reaver. What is that in reference to? What is The Reaver?
1: Well, Anton is referred several times as The Reaver. The
0: Reaver? So, it's it's all about Anton. Which is weird because, you know, he's arguably one of the least powerful people involved in the story.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) He's not a chosen, he's not special to any gods. (laughs)
2: I took it as a uh, reaver was another word for pirate. Almost, it was almost right. the pirate.
0: Yeah,
2: and there's a lot of pirate going on. So. Yeah, okay. it could also bite as uh, the reaver as uh, the reaver of the chosen. That may be stretching though.
0: Maybe, yeah. But if that's the case, then the last book needed to be called the reaver because they killed a lot of chosen in that in the adversary.
1: <laughs> well, uh, it's like a. Uh the recent, uh, your recent interview you had with Darius Salvatore about his latest book, where he mentions about the various sections, and he basically mentions Aaron Zevin's book was basically the equivalent of the World War Two for the camps, and in this in this book is basically the equivalent of the World War Two Pacific uh, yeah. fights. So,
0: absolutely. Mm. So. What do we think about uh, Stead being the pacifist? It's not—it's not common that we find a pacifist character in D and D novels. Well,
2: he's also a little boy. He's what? Yeah.
0: So do we think? He, do we think he's going to grow up to you know start casting more offensive spells? You know, is that a, is that a story we're going to get? Is he at some point going to have to cross the line? Because there's been several times I thought you know this is the time this is when he's going to have to brain down holy fire right and then he and he doesn't and it kind of sort of still works out
1: yeah he might might not uh currently there's um n- hmm. is pretty much a magnificent a, just the object that everyone wants in the story he needs a bit more development and all that i mean it could be a part of the story for later on in the, in the book where he actually makes have to make that decision. Mm. But I, I would have, I would see it much later in the book than right now.
0: See, now I thought that I, I was actually impressed with some of the character development that he's gone through because, because of that issue of his, his steadfast pacifism, right? There was something interesting to me about that because this is not a world. The forgotten realms, is not a world where people shy away from violence like that, right? It's a violent world things like things happen you know people die and mon- there's monsters and and magic that that destroys evil and all that kind of stuff so it's it's unusual i think to find somebody who finds themselves with a significant amount of power even at 10 years old you know he grew up t- from for ten years in this very violent world uh, who completely shies away from I have this power but i 'm only going to use it to help people even as they 're surrounding me or threatening me or or all these doing horrible things or whatever i 'm still not going to do anything more than than heal and bless and and you know be a nice person
2: which is why clerics aren 't often protagonists in d and d novels and they should be. I love it when clerics are, are protagonists in d and d novels. <laughs> I agree with Eric, though, that he instead um, is the, the kind of the MacGuffin. He's the walking MacGuffin. And you don't really have as much story when the MacGuffin can take an active role and fight back. And he's also, since he's bringing back Lethander from a, a manator, he's a very messianic figure. Mm. And so you don't have a very violent, you tend not to have very violent messianic figures.
0: Now, I feel like this idea of bringing back Lethander is not, is, this is not the first time we've seen it, is it?
2: It was in a uh, Dragon Castle a bit with the uh, the adventure. The yes. Where the the paladin there was almost heretical over his belief of Lethander coming back.
0: And I want to say, was Paul Kemp's book also did all, that also deal with Lethander over our monitor? That would have been the other time that we saw it because that was, a, it, was a, it was a it was a monastery of Lethander, right? Eric, do you remember?
1: I'm trying to remember if it was, it was like, the Godborn. But, the Godborn. I
0: thought it was a monitor, but. I don't remember now. Yeah. I have the book in front of me. I should flip it open and take a look. But yeah. Anyway, other yeah. thoughts? Things we liked, things we didn't like, things that we're wondering about?
2: So, I still find that it's, uh, Anton's motives are definitely getting weaker the halfway through the, the book, whereas he was entirely motivated by the money, and now he seems to have lost most of his easy opportunities to turn Stead in for the money. Mm -hmm. And so it seems like almost it'd be um, more advantageous for him to just cut and run and leave and go find fortune elsewhere.
0: I almost feel like he's just gotten so used to protecting the kid that he's doing it by instinct now without even realizing that it's not in his best interest. You know? Yeah. Like he's been been protecting the kid for so long from other people with the intent of I gotta protect the kid so I can turn him in. That now that he doesn't have the opportunity to turn him in, he's just whenever the kids suddenly in danger because you know it's always he- sort of heat of the moment, can't really plot and, and plan. The heat of the moment, the kids in danger. Ah, what do I do? Well, I guess I better protect the kid. <laughs> yeah. What
2: if that's Leander influencing him?
0: Oh. Well, that's what I think. That's what I think. The, I think that is Stead. Um, having an influence on him or Lathander having an influence on on him through Stead I don't necessarily think that we're ever going to see Anton become a a worshipper of Lathander but I think Stead is going to have a redeeming quality on him to the point that you know we may see uh, a a kinder gentler Anton by the end of the book who helps him get to the city that he needs to get to, helps Stead get to where he needs to go yeah
1: Um, gets to Sapra where I fully expect it was going to be a rather largest fight, or or between hmm. and it's It probably was also it was there where uh, I think Umaro probably will have need to do a choice between helping Stead and Anton, or helping the Theans.
0: Well, instead, I think uh, not Stead. Uh, Anton very much doesn't want to go to that city, right? Isn't that? one of the city that he ran away from, uh, you know, his homeland. So he's been specifically avoiding it. I think there was a comment at one point, you know, when the kid said he wanted to go there, there was an internal dialogue of, yeah, oh yeah, I'll totally take you there. Not, that's the last place I'm going, you know? So, so there might be a, a a conflict for Anton specifically of how do I deal with going to this place that I absolutely can't go to.
1: So when I read that, I gathered it was because he wanted, this was more his appeal of getting money and, of the reward of stead, so he was bringing it to somewhere else. I think that was part of it. But I think, as we learn a little bit more
0: about Anton later on, I think there's a a story there. You know, that, yeah. that he can't go home again, and that's home.
2: Which what might either find out in the second half of this book, or that might be a mystery for another book,
0: or another story. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: Depends if uh, Mr. Byers has uh, another Anton
0: story. Yeah. taking around in his mind. Well, I got the impression that several of the authors had intended on continuing on with stories mm-hmm. with the same characters, so and I mean they, a lot of them feel like it, right? I mean, I don't yeah. think Driss is going anywhere. I know I know Aaron's still doing in fact the next Brimstone Angels book has already been announced. Um, you know, the only ones I'm not sure of would be this one and the next one. Um Byers and um um oh, oh Troy Denning. Uh, but I am i mean both of them I think have at least said that they intend on continuing to write in their realms. So I don't know why they wouldn't continue with the same characters. Well, it does know. leave
2: uh, Anton's future a little up in the air. If we know that we don't know that Briars is going to actually continue on with the character, he yeah. could actually – noble sacrifice in the end.
0: He could and and you know, I do know that he's, he has said in in previous panels and things – I think I, it was at Gen Con he said that he – he would like to get back to the Brotherhood of the Giff- Griffin series as well. I think he said that he thinks he's got about one more book in there to finish that story so
1: yeah. well I know that uh paul s camp has mentioned some issues he has with uh that he has with Hasbro Wizard of the coast personal insurance for purposes of also he's not too sure if he's going back to writing for to for Forgotten Realms, oh. he 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 wants to, but it's all. that also. It all depends on the It's a contractual issue type thing. That's interesting. So,
0: that's interesting because um, he's been the only person, I think, in the history of the book club who was not available for an interview when we did the Godborn. Mm. Um, he he wasn't able to do an interview, and I wonder if that wasn't in the middle of that stuff where he he wasn't sure what What he wanted to continue doing there, yeah, so that might be part of it so I'm glad you're around eric fill
1: fill me in on these things <laughs> i I saw it appear on Twitter by by Paul camp, and I said, oh, looked into it, and so okay, very
0: good, well so.
2: So I have a question for like realms loris. Uh, There's an endless rain currently going on during the sea of falling stars. We're on the sea of falling stars. Yes. At this story, is that uh, part of the the post spellplay realms, or is that just in this book?
0: That's just in this book, so far as I know. Mm. And, and the impression I got is that it is a result of the work of Umberly.
2: I got that impression too, but I just wanted to check. Yeah,
0: no, I think that's Umberly and and her chosen sort of impacting the world, and that's part of. I mean, that's part of Umberly's rise to power, right? Is that Look at how you know tremble and quake at my power as I make it rain endlessly. You know, I think that's her showing off a little bit and increasing her her followers, which then in turn increases her power. Uh,
2: it was such a um, a big part of the atmosphere, the early part of the book, but it didn't really seem to be emphasized in how people acted. That's what I I saw anyway. Yeah, it really no, felt like a, an end of days thing. It, it, em- it came
0: up a lot, it came up a lot when they sort of introduced setting elements to us, but. I don't remember it really changing the way the story is told, you know?
1: So, it's, it's, it's so God's so,
0: returning and endless
2: reigns. You'd think that uh, the people would kind of be uh, a little bit more panicky and uh, <laughs> riotous, you know?
1: Sure. Yeah. You were going to say, Eric? Yeah. But yeah, so, so basically, that's why they mentioned about. Darkness and all that, not seeing the sun is basically the rain. I noticed that they mentioned about that they haven't seen the sun in years or something like that. Yeah. So, but how?
0: Know- but how? Even with all the cloud cover and the constant rain, the vampire can't go out in in, in the daylight. Yeah. You know? Which which is is a little bit more of, but I thought it was really cloudy all the time. <laughs> right? yeah.
1: Wouldn't that mean good protection for vampires? Mm. Well, because I remember during the uh, the War of the Spider Queen and that she made it so it was eternally dark Yeah, at one point. And during the d encounter season, I was playing a vampire. A pixie vampire, but a vampire anyways. <laughs> and I was able... Uh, and the GM says, yeah, you don't need your cat anymore because it's dark. I said, yay! But, yeah. So, yeah, the, him not being able to go out even though it's r- rainy and Mhm. Mikey. weird, but.
0: So I think we've already talked a little bit about where we think the story's going next, right? We yeah. think that the, that these two characters are our red wizard and our pirate are going to slowly be redeemed, and that yeah. some of them may actually be redeemed, and, and yeah. some of them may not. No. That they're going to end up back in this helping Stead get to the city where he needs to go, but that's going to yeah. cause all kinds of conflict um, between the the three different factions Which? that might run into him there. Yeah. Uh, any other thoughts about where things might go? I think it's still building to the conflict between
2: Stead and uh Evendur High Castle. Okay. I think those two really need to face off close to each other.
1: <laughs> As being about two chosens to face. Yeah, so, uh,
0: it's, it's, that's the, that's, so you think Stead and and Evendur are going to face off. But but of course Stead is completely nonviolent. Uh yeah. it, or, 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 or are we going to have Anton face off with the vendor? Because uh, Anton is almost the, the Chosen of the Chosen, right? He's the Chosen of the Chosen of the He's sort of uh, his his avatar in these conflicts.
1: Well, I think it's going to be a face-off between Stead and the Aventor. Uh, but probably Anton will come in to protect Stead. Probably sacrifice itself, and since 910 I just checked that up, he's one of his things is renewal and rebirth and stuff like that. Maybe Anton can be reborn or re, re, returned back to life. That brings up an
0: interesting point. See, I think i think if anybody's gonna be sacrificed, it's probably gonna be Stead. I think Anton's gonna be the one fighting a vendor, and Stead's gonna end up uh, a casualty of the conflict. Now, there might still be a rebirth. Uh, I'm, that's an interesting concept, but I think it's going to be Stead that ends up dying.
1: Oh.
0: Be- but, but in his dying, that will be part of the redemption story of Anton.
2: What's going to happen to Amara after this? Is she going to go back and try to rebuild Thay or is she going to go off to Anton? And
0: She has no chance of rebuilding Thay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she may go back and try it, but she she has a 0% chance of succeeding at well. that mission. I, I almost, I, I want to almost say that that what'll happen is she 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 will come to terms with the fact that she she's taking on an impossible, impossible mission, right? Um, and and try to find a life outside of Thay, but the question is, I'm not sure that she can. I'm not sure that she can get away from Thay because she's too integrated into what Thay is, and that's too much a part of who she is for her to just completely abandon it.
1: Uh- there was so, also the uh, possibility that Kyamas could possibly, in the end, totally only betray her, and thus she it breaks her, and then she wants to go away from Thay and become. Did he? Rogue. Sur- did he survive?
0: They had the the big fight yes. uh, on the on the ship where she was trying to take over. I believe he died, but. You know vampires.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a vampire. It's hard to it's hard to tell. Yeah,
2: turns into mist and then vanishes. That's true. See, yeah.
0: I, I had sort of assumed that that she had died, uh, that he had died. Yeah. Um, but you're right; it's a vampire, so it could, it, that could mean nothing. I also like how um, he has written the vampire in such a way that it, it makes me think of things that players would try to do if they were vampires. You know like the, turning the the one arm to mist, yeah d- hey he you he sliced me in the arm, okay, I turn that arm into mist, or he cut my he cut off a, a hand off, fine, I turn it into mist, and then i and then I reform it now it 's back, <laughs> you know, using the mist as sort of the the end all be all of of super awesome vampireness I did like the foreshadowing with that, where Amara <laughs> mentions
2: he's trying to do that and just dismisses it as a waste of time. And then he's but he seems to like think it's gonna come up useful and then it comes in useful like twice. Yeah. Mm. So far. So far. What about uh the Anton Umar relationship? Do you think there's anything there? The romance? Or if it's just kind of a um, I don't know that I see a romance there. Mm. Just a, Anton appreciated her. He commented on her physically, and it could have just been some description, or it could have kind of been building for kind of a a possible kind of connection. I,
0: I almost so, see them coming together with a mutual sort of respect, as, as you know, compatriots with similar yeah. outlooks, more than than you know, romantic relationship. There, yeah, you know, yeah. A, a trusted long term member of my party, sort of thing. Not not the person that I'm in love with. Or at least a different kind of love.
2: If they form a very uh, odd party. It's almost kind of a uh, Anton father figure. Umar could be mother figure, then they're Stead. But they're also the fighter, wizard, and cleric. So It's kind of a twist on the traditional D&D party.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a fighter with a roguish aspect to him, right? Yeah. Yep. So it's a fighter, rogue, wizard, and cleric.
1: So you have all the four classes.
0: And as much as you also have... Um, father, mother, and son the son is also kind of the father of both of them like he's clearly like in, in many ways wiser than both of them and helping raise them yeah that is that's a good point do we have an, an no it's not quite an Oedipus thing going on here is there <laughs> With the, the, the son is the father it's more of a
2: Superman thing
0: yeah <laughs> there you go so, what are we learning about the Sundering in this book, David? You haven't read any other Sundering books, so what do you know about the Sundering now, having read this book?
2: All I know time. about it is the uh, Chosen. The gods are creating Chosen, which I know from this book and from was it the Arena of War video game. Okay, which is pretty much all I know about the Sundering. Okay. Eric, uh, this, oh, go ahead. There is also like the talks about the wars to the north. So it does seem to be a lot more going on in the world, and much more world, world-shaking stuff.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: That's, that's pretty much all I've taken about. Um, but the
1: Sundering from this book.
0: So, Eric, have you uh, gathered anything new about the Sundering that we didn't already know?
1: No, it's still pretty much from a story about the various Chosen that are there, various medals, and all that. They they do mention changes of the world in there. I mean, almost. but you said earlier that it seems to be Umberly's work. Maybe not. It could be changes. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know.
2: Well, Well, there is also the talk of the world being reborn from Stead. Stead talks about mm -hmm. how it is the the birth pangs for the world or the the endless rains. And so it isn't just uh, the chosen seem to be almost a a lesser part of it because the whole world is apparently being reborn.
0: Well, and that's part of, like, that's honestly one of my bigger frustrations with the sundering as a whole, as much as. As much as uh, Salvatore has used the analogy of this is like World War II, all this this thing is going on, and all these other you know these are all different parts of it. Uh, It's it's not really like it's actually the story of the interwar period. You know, this is the story of the Great Depression leading up to World War II, but World War II hasn't actually (laughs) happened yet because the world shaking event isn't occurring. You know, it's just everybody freaking out because they can kind of tell it's coming.
1: Coming, yeah. I find it interesting at one point where Stead mentioned how a Monotaur was the form of the god when the world needed stability mm-hmm. but now Lathander they, now, now that is no longer needed so that's why they're going to have Lathander come in so I was like oh so Lathander is more for what chaos more for change with change and hope or, change and hope yeah yeah I would, well, I, I wouldn't the, say
0: chaos, but
2: I have the Forgotten One wiki up here because I was preparing, and yeah. uh, it's a monitor is actually a lawful neutral god according to the rules, and uh, letander is neutral um, yeah. neutral good, so neither yeah. of them are particularly chaotic, right?
0: Mm. Yeah, that's and that's honestly as I heard as I listened to that because or I read that um, that bit, it seemed to me like. Let's justify bringing the old god back, and you know, the, and, and rolling back some of the fourth edition changes. Uh, that that excuse didn't feel like I don't know that I can com- I really bought into that excuse. For real real hook line and sinker there, you know. <laughs> yeah, I agree with Jeff there. No, I think it was that was more contrived, so they could they could do what they wanted to do, which is bring back Lathander.
1: Although I find it interesting about the church. Having uh, the Minotaur's Church having p- potential for this schism that could occur with the Wait, fact the Londoners is returning, which is again it's something
0: I'm pretty sure I've heard about. Like I, I swear I've read that story where there was a follower of the Church who, and there was a schism in the Church because this one guy kept going out and preaching Lethander, and everybody else is a monitor. And I swear I read that somewhere. I think that's the uh, Ghost of Dragons. Was that Dragonspear Castle? Castle? Okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I have not read that adventure. So,
0: so that schism has already happened.
1: Oh.
0: Or or well, has already been been discussed in other places, and and it's happening in some churches. Yeah. And Foreshadowing. So this, and so this is really um, stead is really just he's he's picking a side, and as a chosen, like that's a pretty strong side to pick, right? Yeah.
1: If, it's, if it occurred in other stuff, it all depends on what time it is, because uh, this book is 1486, I believe. Okay. So it all depends on what, what part of the story is the Ghostbier Castle set up in.
0: I have it right in front of me.
1: Let me open it
0: up and see if I can find a date on it.
2: Yeah, Reaver is indeed fourteen eighty six.
1: So fourteen eighty six for the Reaver. What did so, I just notice that's interesting? Is the fact that they mention on the wiki that Amanator is the Neteri's god of the sun. So
2: that's the Empire of the Shade, right? Yeah. Why would the so, Shade have I need a god for the sun? <laughs>
1: yeah, but no, but this what. One thing I'm wondering is because the Netherees has been up to so far in previous books have been an influence in the Sundering. So I'm wondering if in the second half we'll see the Netherees show up and do something considering that Amanatour is supposed to be the the Netherees God of the Sun.
0: And now that you say that, I mean, this is really the first book we've read in the Sundering where the Netherees didn't play front and center, you know? Yeah. I'm we'll not. Still have the book left. I'm not seeing a date anywhere in Dragon's the Castle. Let me go to the the setting section instead of the adventure section and see if it's there.
2: See, I believe a uh, Termish where they could be going. That's on the opposite side of the Sea of Fallen Stars as they. Hmm.
0: Sounds right. I don't have a map in front of me, so, but
2: yeah. <laughs> so I probably have to definitely make a decision at some point to either take stead.
0: Oh yeah, West where east. where he wants to go, or
2: yeah.
0: but uh, is that right? Do you have a map in front of you?
2: Um, uh, the, there's one in the front of the book. Apparently, It so. ah. doesn't have any city names. Though, that so.
0: doesn't help me in my audiobook <laughs> because I could have sworn, like from where they were, at some point they said, "Oh well, we need to go east." Well, that's fine. That's that's on the the way to where I want to go as well as you know he'll think we're going where we, he wants to go. You know. Yes.
2: Well, it is a big C. So.
0: I sp- yeah, but if they're on opposite ends, that wouldn't work, would it? Alright, I'm f- I'm finding a map.
1: Yeah. yeah, I went to on the wiki for Dragonspear Castle, and they don't put a date for the adventure. The last date in history is 1357, where a small shrine is set by the temp- priest of Tempest within the walls of Dragonspear Castle. So...
0: Alright, so he wants to go where? Sapra? In Termish. Sapra in Termish, yep. So, yeah, I mean, it's not. Sapra's like at the halfway point of the Sea of Fallen Stars in the southern part, and Thay is on the far eastern part. So, if they're on the Pirate Isle, which is sort of right in the middle, Sapra could sort of be interpreted as on the way to Thay, depending on which route you take to Thay. Yeah, if you go, uh, if you, Ag- if you go south of if you go south of Aglaron then then it's on the way. If you go north of Aglaron then they're going the wrong way. But if you go north of Aglaron there's a giant floating city full of Avaleth, so you probably want to avoid that. All right, so that makes sense. I'm glad I looked at the map because I've been actually contemplating some of these things anyway.
2: I'll defer to your realms lore. Well,
0: it's, it's <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm just looking at the map. <laughs> So All right. Any other thoughts? I think um I think I've said what I what I had to say about it. Um I'm just curious to see where it goes. We don't have a lot of uh female characters, just the one, but she's pretty central to the whole thing.
2: And she's a red wizard, so she's kind of a non-traditional female character. Yeah. That's... Shaven head and tattoos.
1: Well, at one point, she has a wig. So. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: Yeah, which is actually kind of fun, right? She's got yeah. this wig that's driving her crazy.
1: Yeah.
2: And well, there's the, the fun moment where she um, gets all upset that the pigment she had covering her skin to cover her tattoos is washing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it's, supposed to be, her.
0: it's supposed to be waterproof, and Anton's like, no, 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 you don't understand. Out here at sea, nothing's
1: a waterproof forever. <laughs> yes. How how is the uh, how is the audio book? For- it's good.
0: It's good. It actually it's interesting because, um, like, I think the the reader is right on in terms of his pronunciation of the the fantasy terms, the Forgotten Realms terms, and that kind of stuff. Which is good because that's usually where things start to fall apart for me when they start pulling out Dro and all that kind of stuff. It, it takes me out. Um but every now and then like there's a non-fantasy word that he pronounces weirdly uh, and that, you know and that just sort of drives me a little a little it's like wait wait did he just say oh that's the word he meant to say you know um you know i want to i want to go in and correct his pronunciation on on some of those things you know um and and he's got a he's got a really sort of uh deep bass sort of voice going on too um i don't know anything about him um uh, but i wonder if they didn't it, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know anything about him. So I don't know why they chose him or what's going on with him. But, um, yeah, he's got a sort of deep tenor to his voice. Which sometimes makes it interesting to see if I can figure out which character he's trying to do, right?
1: Yeah. So. And, David, how, are you reading the physical copy or electronic copy? Or
2: I have a hardcover book.
1: Hardcover book? So we have three different formats. Because I'm, I'm reading the... Uh, as an as an ebook, so on Kobo, so right or
0: not? Let us see if I can find this reader a little bit. No, there's no information here. no name. No, I got a name. It's Eugene H. Russell the Fourth. Hefty name. It is a hefty name. Anybody else have anything else they wanted to say about the book? I think I've said it all. Me mm-hmm. too. Uh, said, said, as, said as much as I as I could can't say anyway. Yeah.
1: I'm looking forward to see where this uh, this leads and this goes.
2: Yeah, it's it's interesting reading a book that you know could end completely differently than other franchise novels. Mm-hmm. You Don't know if the characters are going to survive or not. Or... Oh,
0: hey. this reader is actually an actor. He's been in some movies lately. Oh. I don't, nothing I've seen, but oh, I'm sorry. He's been in a couple episodes of a TV series and some short some short films. So,
1: okay, Cut.
0: In Any case, all right. Well, <laughs> that's 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 an aside. I, we've all said what we need to say, so I think we've yeah. covered what we need to cover. I want to thank Noble Knight for sponsoring us, and you can thank them, too, by going over the, to nobleknight.com and letting them know that the, the Tome Show sent you. I want to thank Eric M. Paquette for filling in as our uh, resident Tracy of the night. Yes. <laughs> where can uh, where can people find you on the interwebs?
1: You can find me on Twitter easily at Eric M. Pack, Paq.
0: And David Gibson, you're, you're, we've, uh, we've inaugurated you into the Tome Show lineup here with this first uh, book club appearance. Where can people uh, find you? I'm on
2: Twitter at dndjester.com. No, no, no dndjester. Uh, I have a webcomic at 5mwd.com. This is Five Minute Workday used to blog over this site called temporary Hit points but the owner hasn't really done that much with it
0: yeah well, you also used to blog over at a site called uh, at will right yeah same thing yeah. yeah yeah I think that's where you and I first uh, really met up yeah. so right on uh, and I want also to also thank our listeners for using our affiliate links over at Amazon and D&D Classics you get the same great deals, everything's great for you and it helps the show out because we get a little little cut in the process, so if you go to thetomeshow.com and cruise through our links to either of those sites to do your shopping it helps us uh, get the things that we need to get and, uh, and to do, handle that kind of stuff so thank you guys
1: and if you want to contact us, you can email at tomeshow at gmail.com or the biz line at 919-BIZ-TOME.
0: And if you want to find show notes and other great Tome Show shows, head over to thetomeshow.com. Well, that's our thoughts on the first half of The Reaver. Next month, we'll record the second half and talk to the author. Until then, keep on turning the page, tomites.
1: I'm on the wall.